Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio, Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game. Oh, the momentum is with them now. Including the Women's Super League. Clean off the line by Steph Horton. The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers. Lana Clellan striking from outside the penalty area. World-beating big match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scored. Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Hello, good evening. Welcome to this Women's Football Weekly special. So we finally know the outcome of the 2019-20 season. Chelsea are champions of the Barclays FAWSL and Aston Villa are promoted from the championship. But it's disappointment for Liverpool who are relegated to the second tier. Strap yourselves in, we have a bumper show for you. Kelly Simmons, director of the women's professional game at the FA, is with us to discuss how the FA came to that decision. You'll also hear from Chelsea manager Emma Hayes, Aston Villa's sporting director Enia Luko, former Liverpool striker Courtney Sweetman-Kirk and you'll find out what the financial implications could be for clubs like Liverpool and Sheffield United. All that and more coming up over the next hour here on TalkSport 2. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson from Arsenal Women and you can follow the WSL on TalkSport 2. Hello, hello. How are you all? How has your week been? It's not been quiet, has it? Never is in the world of women's football, constantly keeping us on our toes. And with that in mind, I want to get straight to it because we have a very special uh, guest joining us this evening here on Women's Football Weekly. Kelly Simmons, director of the women's professional game at the FA. Hello to you. How are you doing? Good evening. Yeah, fine. Thank you. Any rest at all? Uh, not since Christmas, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You've had some really tough decisions to make as well over the past few weeks. So we'll get straight into it. Obviously, the announcement came on Friday that the sporting outcome had been decided and Chelsea were the WSL uh, title winners. Uh, many people, though, asking why exactly it, it, it took so long. So, so what process did you have to go through and, and why did it take this long to come to the conclusion? Well, we had to wait for the government protocols to come out in terms of how elite sport comes back. And so once we'd got that and talked to the clubs about the operational logistical challenges uh, with those and the costs, uh, and then we talked to the players as well who were 
uh, I think it's fair to say a number of them apprehensive about coming down, uh, coming back to football whilst the country was in lockdown. And when we looked at all of that in the round, then, um, you know, there was very, very strong support from uh, the clubs uh, to terminate the league. And from there, obviously, we then went to look at sporting outcome. But the big decision was around termination. That was really dictated by uh, government information. Yeah, I think most of the clubs that we've spoken to here on Women's Football Weekly have said that you made the right decision re regarding that and, and that they were fully behind it. A couple of clubs obviously still thought that they could have put games on and would have been able to afford it, though. H how did you bring them round to, to the decision? Well, we, had to, we needed everybody with us. I think when you look at the challenges that... Um, both leagues, because we were talking to the WSL clubs and the championship clubs every week. When you look at some of the challenges around the, the protocols uh, and the fact that uh, some women's clubs don't own their own training ground, they don't own their own stadium. Uh, and in some cases, uh, if they're training in a public facility, that was shut. So when you looked at it all in the round, both the challenges and the costs, and you took the player feedback, it was almost unanimous that it was the right decision to terminate the league and really focus our efforts and our resources and our money on coming back strongly in September. And in terms of the, terms of the sporting outcome, that had to go to the full FA board uh, for discussion. How, how was that decided in the end? Because many people thought, with a third of the season still to play, that voiding it like had been the decision made for, for, for the lower leagues, uh, tiers three to seven, that that would have been the way you'd go with, with uh, the WSL and championship as well. Yeah, it was a really difficult decision for the FA board. I think there's been quite a bit of talk in professional men's football about using points per game as well to conclude a season and uh, for promotion relegation. So in that sense, although lower down the women's pyramid, uh, the decision was to null and void the game, um, the leagues, that uh, in the professional game, the view is to uh, use a sporting outcome. We certainly knew we had to do that for UEFA. So UEFA really clear that in terms of Women's Champions League clubs for next season need to choose sporting merit from this season. Um, but when uh, we consulted the clubs and, uh, you know, it was a written consultation process so the board could see all of the club's views, there was very little support actually for Null and Void. Um, and therefore, you know, the board went for promotion and relegation. Very difficult decision. It would have been a um, very difficult decision uh, had, had the board gone the other way in terms of Aston Villa obviously being six points clear. Uh, very tough for Liverpool, but um, that was, you know, the view taken um, from the clubs and the Super League and Championship board as well. Um, that was the view that the FA board reached. Yes, let's discuss Liverpool because obviously where there are winners, there, there are inevitably mm. going to be losers and, and for the integrity uh, of the league, that, that had to happen. How close were you, first of all, to, to the thought process of extending the, the league, the WSL, to 13 teams and, and, and not relegating Liverpool? We certainly talked about, so all of the options were talked about. The only one really that wasn't on the table of all the sorts of options was taking the current league tables as they stand because of the number um, of clubs that had played different different games, different number of games. Otherwise, all the options were on the table and everything was, was considered. There wasn't a lot of support for um, promoting and not relegating. So I think the view was, and this came through with the clubs as well, is that if you're going to use a points per game and complete uh, the season, you can't sort of you know, then pick uh, what you want to do with that um, and make, I suppose, you know, what might have been the easier, less controversial decision. So I think the view was, if you're going to promote, then you should relegate. Um, and, you know, being mindful that 13 isn't the ideal number in terms of Super League, and we weren't planning to expand 
the Super League so that, um, you know, in line with men's professional game, professional football, that uh, the board decided to promote and relegate. Liverpool, understandably, unhappy about that. They believe they could put games on. I also spoke to somebody at the club who said that they felt they'd lost faith in the FA. How does that make you feel? Yeah, no, it's really tough. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I completely sympathise um, with Liverpool. I think it was a very, very uh, difficult decision and, a, and I'm sure and a hugely tough one to take. Um, but that, you know, the board consulted with all of the clubs and with the Super League and Championship board and that, that was the view that they came to. They were obviously founder members of, of the WSL. Have, have you spoken to them, them further? Is there any kind of potential that they might appeal the decision? They've not indicated that. That's obviously, you know, one for them to consider. Obviously, we spoke to the clubs before the announcement so um, that they were aware that this was coming and they knew um, all the way through uh, the process when we were looking at sporting outcome, there was a risk, um, I suppose, to them that this might be, you know, this was an option on the table. This was certainly being talked about in professional football around points per game and promotion and relegation. So um, they knew that... uh, that it could be really bad news for them in that sense. Um, we had the shadow sports minister, Alison McGovern, on with us on Women's Football Weekly here on TalkSport 2 last week. She had some really strong words to say um, as well, particularly that not, res- not enough respect has been shown uh, t- to the women's game. Um, I just want to play this to you so that, so that you can have a, a right to reply to what Alison had to say. I would say that the women's game needs much more respect than it's getting at the moment, certainly organisationally, including from government, actually. You know, look at the amount of time and effort and media attention that the government have drawn to Project Restart for the Premier League. Has there been anything like that level of attention and effort from, from government, never mind the FA, on the women's game? I don't think so. So I think it's my job as, as an angry politician on behalf of everybody, all the participants, to say, you know what, this is not good enough. We want better than this. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 with me, Faker Rothers, and I'm alongside, well, socially distanced broadcasting over the airwaves, Kelly Simmons, Director of the Women's Professional Game at the FA. You just heard the thoughts there of the Shadow Sports Minister, Alison McGovern, Kelly. Um, she wanted the women's game to be discussed along with Project Restart and the, and the Premier League. Was that, was that ever on the table and ever possible? Well, certainly we've been talking closely to the government and to the Premier League uh, and all the football stakeholders during the last few weeks. I think the fact was, though, that when it came to looking at the protocols and what was required to come back whilst the country's in lockdown, you know, the operational challenges, the costs um, were prohibitive. And then, as I said earlier, when you take the players' views into consideration, and you shouldn't underestimate that, that it's hugely important that we listen to the players uh, as part of making that decision. We just felt that it was the right decision for the women's game. In terms of that interview, look, it's, you know, it's great. Um, she's championing women's sport and women's football and, and challenging the government. And you know, I'm all for that, of course. Um, I think she did go on to say um, that she thought that we'd cancelled the league with no plan. I think that was disappointing. Um, it would have been great had she checked in um, with the FA because clearly we've got uh, a strategy for the professional game. We've developed that with the clubs and the fantastic new board that we've put in place. And I think if you go back to pre-COVID a few weeks ago, when we had you know, record attendances, you know, they were up 210% this year, record audiences up 40%. 
we'd signed a, a deal with Barclays as title sponsor of the Women's Super League, which is a record in women's sport. We were selling international rights uh, across the world. You know, the Super League was going global. Then I think, you know, it's unfair to say... Uh, that we haven't got a plan for the growth and development of the professional game. Yeah, we will be talking about um, the, the plan for growth that, that you do have. I know that you've recently released some some refereeing statistics as well, and we will be going into those. And you know, whenever we talk about um, about the FA and and, the, and what you're doing for women's football, you know, there is always criticism and scrutiny, as you would expect there to be. But there is also a lot of praise for for what you do as well. And you've spoken before in the past about how difficult it is comparing the women's game to the men's as well and I think that's where the problem comes it's good that women's football in a way is being discussed within the same um, uh, space as, as men's football but that comes with its own challenges yeah it does it does so um, you know I've seen over the last few weeks obviously we get compared well not just the last few weeks but it was all season really we get compared to the men's premier league and, and I understand that of course I do but the men's premier league is a global multi-billion uh, long established league and we're in our second year of professional women's football so I just all I call for really is a bit of sort of balance I suppose in looking at how quickly the women's game is coming on um, and how much um, you know the league has developed um, and just sort of yeah balancing that rather than uh, constantly I suppose benchmarking with the Premier League and then using that to not the women's Super League which is actually you know one of the best leagues in the world and the only fully professional women's league, football league in Europe. I understand that Alison McGovern um, had a meeting planned on Friday with the FA. Did, did that go ahead and, and what came out of it? It did. She uh, met Mark Bullingham, our chief executive, and Baroness Sue Campbell, who's our director of women's football. Um, I was doing the, uh, the press conference on the sporting outcome decision, so I missed that. Um, but I think it was that we wanted to put across very strongly that we'd got a plan. Um, that we've already shown, I think, a track record through the last four-year strategy for the women's game, where people said, oh, you know, could you really double participation? Yes, we did. You know, we've seen massive growth in coaching, in refereeing that we've been putting out recently, as well as the development of the Women's Professional League. And I think we wanted to get across strongly that just because, you know, as disappointing as it is that we couldn't complete this season didn't mean that we hadn't got really ambitious plans and investment for the women's game going forward. So what exactly is the plan? You, you say it's an ambitious plan going forward. What, what can you tell us? Well, the FA, um, the overall women's game, uh, that new, new strategy will be launched later this year. But there'll be, again, there'll be ongoing commitments to growing participation, improving the talent pathway, doing everything we can to make sure England's successful. Uh, in terms of the professional game, as I say, we've already developed our four-year plans with the club's and with a new board and that's very much about growing audiences growing attendances growing revenue so that we can become commercially uh, self-sustainable which is hugely important in terms of protecting the women's game uh, and making sure we've got a world-class product so developing our best uh, young players uh, in terms of english players but attracting world talent as well and of course growing uh, audiences mainly down to, to, to broadcasting. We'll talk about that shortly. This is Women's Football Weekly here on Talk Sport 2. You're listening uh, to the thoughts of Kelly Simmons, Director of the Women's Professional Game at the FA. Next, we'll hear more from her on plans being discussed to maximise exposure. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Hi, I'm Gemma Bonnet and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. 
You are listening to Talk Sport 2. This is Women's Football Weekly with me, Faker Rothers, and you're also joined by Kelly Simmons, director of the Women's Professional Game at the FA. Um, we've just been talking about the decision to cancel uh, the WSL and championship seasons and award Chelsea the WSL title, Aston Villa the championship title and relegate Liverpool to the second tier. Um, the next thing I want to discuss with you, Kelly, um, a lot of people have thought that there has perhaps been an opportunity missed. Um, we've discussed the reasons behind having to, to, to cancel the league. I think all the clubs are on board with that, or the majority, uh, certainly. We all know the problems in, involved there in terms of finances, testing, uh, and other health and safety implications as well. Manchester City head of women's football, Gavin Makel, said the other day he didn't believe it was an opportunity missed because um, there are going to be many opportunities for the women's game uh, forthcoming. Do you agree with him or do you feel as if something more could have been done if there'd been a little bit more strategy in place, if you can have any strategy for an unprecedented event like COVID-19? Yeah, I don't think it's a strategy in place. It's looking at what has to be put down in the training ground and at stadia to come back and whether at the time the women's game was geared up uh, operationally and financially to deliver that and it became quite clear quite quickly when we saw those uh, ourselves in the clubs that it was really, really challenging. So I don't think it's strategy. Um, I think, uh, I understand, I agree with Gavin. I think, you know, it, of course it's disappointing that we're not able to complete the season. We were on a record-breaking season. Um, but when we come back, you know, I genuinely believe we'll come back really strongly and we've got, you know, lots to look forward to. So we announced the uh, start date of the season at the beginning of September. We launched there last year. It was a men's FIFA window. We had fantastic numbers uh, and attendances. Obviously, we'll probably be behind closed doors uh, this time, but a great opportunity in terms of audiences. And if you look at the next few years in the women's game, Olympics, uh, Euros on home soil, you know, there's lots of big, big things to hook into in terms of building fan base, building audience. I was going to ask you that because I think there were a lot of fears that momentum could have been lost because, as you say, you've announced uh, that you're hoping to start the new seasons on the 5th and 6th of, of September. But bearing in mind the fanfare that this season started with, the record attendances, as you discussed, the fact that many of the games were staged at um, men's stadiums as well, is there a worry that that momentum will be lost a little bit, bearing in mind we now don't have a Euros until 2021. 2022, even. Really? <laughs> I'll start yeah. that again. 2022. <laughs> yeah, well, the whole two, whole well, year, the whole um, international calendar's been thrown up in the air for about two years. Um, so it's not surprising that we're all muddling our days. Um, I, I don't think it's... Look, I, I think um, there's still many, many opportunities out there, I think, for... Um, for the women's game and we've got to maximise those. So, you know, at the end of the day, all the work that we've done, the, the fantastic work around building the Lionesses fan base, translating that into the WSL when we launched uh, for this season, you know, record attendances, record uh, TV audiences, all of that interest is still there. So when we come back in September, there's no reason why we can't have fantastic audiences in terms of TV and obviously when we can um, open up to fans then you know record attendances there's a massive commitment from the clubs uh, and from the FA and the league to to build on that and uh, you know we've got a great opportunity we've got top world-class uh, players top top product in terms of the league and, and lots of big 
big kind of pinnacle events coming up around Olympics, Euros, etc., to capitalise and keep building. So I think, look, massive, you know, short-term setback, but not the end by a long, long way. You know, we will come back strongly. A lot of our listeners want to know about broadcasting deals. Um, they want to be able to watch mm. more women's football. What's the latest there? So we currently uh, have one more season with uh, BT Sport um, and their partnership with the BBC. Uh, but we are out in the market for our new domestic rights deal for 2021 onwards. Uh, we have started speaking to all the major broadcasters over the last couple of months. Uh, we expect it to be highly competitive, which is fantastic for the women's game. There is a lot of interest and uh, we're really committed to making sure that we get the right partners who can help us deliver growth in audience and growth in revenue. So uh, I think it's going to be a big, big moment for the women's game. One of the, thing, the things that's been particularly noticeable over the past few weeks is, is the end of players' contracts. Is that something the FA really needs to look at? Is it being looked at because you know it, it seems to be quite problematic women's contracts are shorter than the, the men's contracts and that's causing a lot of problems well i think that's about where the uh, women's game is financially at the moment i think you're seeing uh, a shift you're seeing uh, more players starting to go on longer term contracts as clubs uh, have got security of, of a mix of monies and commercial money and, and club support um, but you still have got some one-year deals and i think the way that that will turn around is ultimately when uh, the women's game can generate more revenue so that there's more certainty in terms of those club budgets. So I think that is, you know, ultimately the way to fix that is, is that the game is sustainable in its own right. And obviously we're working really hard through domestic rights, international rights, sponsorship and growing uh, attendances um, and match day revenue to, to make that happen. We've spoken before um, off-air about the potential for the Premier League to take over the WSL. I understand that talks are still continuing, but will perhaps be revisited a bit further down the line. Is that right? That's right, yes. Uh, we're open-minded at the FA in terms of where the uh, the Women's Super League and the Championship sits uh, long-term. We don't run the uh, men's professional leagues. They sit outside of the FA. And so um, we've been open-minded about, about who that is. Uh, the Premier League did have a look. I think it's been well-documented. Um, decided that in this rights deal, so our, our deal for 21 onwards, that um, they won't uh, offer to take over running of the Super League and the Championship, but that they will come back to the table um, and look at it in the round in the next year or so. So I think, you know, those discussions uh, will take place again. It, it was interesting to see what happened in Germany. And I know it's very difficult to compare what's happening here in, in the UK compared to what's happening over in Germany. But the Frauen Bundesliga has gone back and they also had a support fund um, from Bundesliga clubs as well. And obviously, if there was a closer connection, um, that would be incredibly helpful and perhaps could have stopped the curtailment of the season early. Well, I, I think, um, well, first of all, you know, the, the, uh, the German league isn't fully professional. So you've got to say, well, if you're looking at it in a wider context, um, is the men's professional game here helping develop top level women's football? It's helping deliver professional women's football and a fully professional league, some professional clubs in the championship and semi-professional football. And at the moment, that is not possible without men's football club money. So... You know, the Premier League clubs and the EFL clubs have been investing significantly 
for some time. So I think, you know, that's that's the first thing to say on that. And secondly, um, if you look at some of the challenges that our women's club had in meeting those operational requirements, it wasn't just testing costs. Um, it was just a number of challenges around where the game is, around training venues and around stadia and so on. So it wasn't just a case of, uh, you know, the government or the football stakeholders just just writing a cheque um, and helping us get back. There were a number of other challenges. Germany, very different situation currently in terms of COVID, you know, as a country. Um, I don't know how their players feel about coming back. I do know how ours feel. We had captains meetings for both leagues um, and it was pretty clear as well that the players had concerns at the current time with lockdown and the rate of COVID here um, that they had concerns about coming back. So I think you have to look at it all in the round. So by looking at it all in the round, you're you're suggesting mm. that, you know, the season's going to restart 5th and 6th of September um, with the head of league operations, Lauren O'Sullivan at the FA, saying pre-season training could provisionally begin in July. Well, that's just a few weeks away. So how are attitudes going to change? Well, I think uh, you talk to government, you know, by July, shops should be open, pubs are opening, people are starting to go back to work. We will be coming out of lockdown. Um, hopefully some of those key factors that the government judge, uh, you know, their strategy on around uh, you know, numbers of deaths and the R rate and all of those things that we watch on the news every night, um, that some of those will be coming down in the right way and, and people will be more confident to be going back into society. Alongside that, obviously, we've got work uh, alongside the clubs to put those protocols in place and if there are some cost challenges you know we are talking to the football stakeholders and government about making sure that we're ready that's interesting uh, just want to finally finish on on a positive note because we did discuss the fa's game plan for for growth we've spoken about it on women's football weekly here on talk sport 2 before as well you've said how well everything's been going you've released figures about doubling participation and the game's fan base as well and what you've been doing with the pipeline into the england national team um but the other day you released um uh, figures on increasing the number of female referees and raising standards which is something in particular in the wsl had been high Highlighted. So, so what exactly has happened over the past four years? So, well, first of all, we've been um, working with our county FAs to get more women into refereeing and more referees. Um, so, you know, widening, widening the base always uh, helps improve um, the top, just like it does in, in coaching and playing in other, other aspects. Um, yeah, we've been working with PGMOL, uh, so professional uh, game match officials who oversee uh, top-level refereeing in the men's game. And uh, all about the referees in the Women's Super League, they're on this uh, match system whereby every single decision or, or non-decision uh, is analysed and then the, the referees get coaching feedback. So every single decision uh, is fed back to them uh, on video uh, replays and at links. Uh, they've got coaches uh, and support. So we're really seeing a big shift uh, in the support that we're giving the top-level referees. Um, and actually, you know, we announced the results around 98% decisions uh, that were made are correct. Of course, you get the high-profile ones, <laughs> inevitably, in men's and women's football um, that, that people fo focus in on, and it's a really tough job. Um, but if you look at the results, you know, from the PGMOL 
uh, and the work that those referees have done a tremendous job and we'll keep working hard to support them and get more referees in. Yeah, it's not an easy job. Uh, we, cert- we certainly know that. We hope to hear from Joanna Stimson, uh, Head of Referees at the FA of, w- of Women's Football as well. And also, uh, Kelly Simmons, I really hope that I see you face to face soon and we can have another chat uh, and discuss all the, all the things <laughs> that the so. FA are doing. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for being very honest and, uh, and answering all our questions. Very much. Take care. Kelly Simmons there, Director of the Women's Professional Game at the FA. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly here on TalkSport 2. Don't forget, we're now a podcast, so you can download us from your preferred podcast provider and catch up on Women's Football Weekly if you miss us. Next, Enia Luko, Sporting Director at newly promoted Aston Villa Women, talks about their plans for the WSL. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Hi, I'm Georgia Stanway and you're listening to the Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 with me, Faye Carruthers. Thank you for joining us on this Monday evening. Interesting thoughts there from the FA's uh, director of the women's professional game, uh, Kelly Simmons. Uh, Next up, Enia Luko, sporting director at Aston Villa Women, also former Chelsea and England forward. Perfect person to discuss the end of the season with. Double celebration for you, Eni. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. It's been a been a good weekend having finally the good news promotion um it's been a long wait um (laughs) of quite a painful wait to be honest with so much uncertainty in the air but um it's really nice now that you know all the work that's gone in um certainly for me over the last four months and all the work that's gone in from the team and staff 
Villa's paid off and uh, we can now look forward to next season in the WSL. Absolutely. We'll delve into that shortly because I did see on social media the other day that you were celebrating Chelsea's success as well as Aston Villa's success with a certain Claire Rafferty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, um, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we had a catch-up. We had a picnic, although the picnic became a storm. Um, no one no one checked the weather, so um, we weren't very clever uh, on Saturday, but... Uh, yeah, we um, we uh, we met up and we uh, had a bit of a quick celebration, obviously between myself, um, Drew, and uh, Drew Spence and uh, Claire Rafferty, who are obviously at Chelsea. So um, it was a nice kind of collective celebration. Just going to focus on Chelsea very brief, very briefly, because um, Chelsea women's title-winning uh, manager Emma Hayes was speaking to Adrian Durham and uh, Darren Goff on Talk Sport on Friday. It just happens that the system, the points game system means we end up as champions. And no, I don't want to win a championship like this, but I do think we've had an outstanding year being Continental Cup winners and been unbeaten all year. And I think I'm just delighted to be in this position and want to thank my owner, Roman, because without his support, uh, I, I don't think I'll be sitting here today. Yeah, it's fair to say uh, he's done a lot for the women's game. And when we look at the table, um, yes, you, you're a point behind Manchester City, but you are unbeaten, as you say, and you have played Man City twice as well. Have you got any sympathy for City? No. I'm the manager <laughs> of Chelsea. Why would I have sympathy for Listen, I think City had a... They took us the whole way, but we took four points off of them, out of possible six, and took six from the mighty champions, Arsenal. So, on that basis... Our points per game put us in front, and I'm not the person who's determining whether it is to be completed or not. But what it is, I hope, teaches my players that every game matters, and that you don't know what's around the corner and how a league may be settled. And well, I hope we're never in this position again. I'm grateful to have another title under our belt, and I'm excited for the team's future because I've got a fabulous group of players playing for me. Yeah, one of those players is uh, Scotland international Erin Cuthbert. She came on the TalkSport quiz on Saturday with me and Darren Bent. We had a Zoom call yesterday morning before the news was released and Emma was actually having a champagne on that, but I still had things to do, so I had to drive, so couldn't have anything too exciting, but I'll hopefully be able to celebrate properly when, when everyone gets down, because it's not the same yourself. You, you want to be with your teammates to celebrate something like this. Chelsea forward Erin Cuthbert and Chelsea manager Emma Hayes there talking here on Talk Sport. And you're also hearing the thoughts of Enia Luco, former Chelsea forward and now sporting director at Aston Villa Women. Were the winners, were they for you, Any Chelsea? Well, I think, as Emma said, you know, um, it, it's, it's an unprecedented, unexpected, unexpected um, uh, decision, obviously, to decide on points per game. And it's not for any of us to sort of comment on um you know whether that's right or wrong that it wasn't our decision it was it was a, a league decision but you know to be in the conversation to win the league at that point you 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 have to look at the form um across the season and you know I've been to Chelsea games this season and they've, they've been absolutely exceptional um I was at the uh, Chelsea I was at the Arsenal game at Boreham Wood um where they won I think it was 4-1 um, just a, an exceptional performance from start to finish, and, and that, that's without me being biased. That's just very objective. They played very well. Um, you know, I was at the cup final as well. I did uh, I did radio for the cup final, 
um, where they won. You know, they beat uh, Arsenal there. Uh, and as Emma said in in the in the in her segment, um, they've beaten Manchester City twice this season. They've taken four points of Manchester City too. So over the course of the season, you have to you know you have to appreciate the the dominance of of uh, of certain teams. And certainly from Aston Villa's point of view, um, we went unbeaten and were six points clear at the, at the time in which the season ends. So you know we're very proud of. Um, all the work that's been put in and, and you have to put yourself in a position to even be in the conversation about promotion and that's what we did. So Aston Villa finished six points clear of Sheffield United. I'm going to ask the same question to you that Adrian asked to uh, to Emma Hayes. Um, have you got any sympathy for Sheffield United? Um, do you know what? I, the, the rivalry between Chelsea and Manchester City is probably a lot more... Um, uh, uh, strong, and that's probably what elicited Emma's response. But uh, certainly, uh, it's probably not as strong between the rivalry between Aston Villa and Sheffield United. And uh, certainly, their manager was very, very complimentary and very nice, and had very kind words to say about our, us getting promoted. And I'd, I'd definitely repay that and say, yeah, you know, it, it's tough. It, it is tough to to feel like you've had an un, un, incomplete season. Um, but I think she herself said that, you know, if she was in Aston Villa's position, she'd definitely want to, to get promoted. So I think all of us in sport understand that, you know, the fundamental basis of sport is to be rewarded for winning and to be rewarded for your hard work. Um, so I think everybody who sort of understands sport knows that actually there would have been an empty feeling if nobody got anything out of this season. So I really respect... Uh, Carly, uh, Carla, sorry, Carla Ward for for her words, and uh, I'll definitely you know say the same about her and and wish her squad all the best next season because you know they're a great team and with it with certainly a great men's team as well who I hope financially support them in their pursuit of of more success. Yeah, because that support is is crucial. I was going to ask you actually, how much is Aston Villa's success down to the support from Aston Villa CEO Christian Perslow? Without the, the sort of um, commitment and, and financial investment and vision um, of Christian Perslow, um, we really couldn't, um, you know, plan to, plan ahead to be a professional team with a professional setup, with a vision that's not just for next year but for two, three, four, five years, um, and really kind of, you know, build a vision around that, recruit around that. Um, it really does take um, the financial investment and the commitment from from owners like Christian who believe in the game and believe in, in, in having an established women's side, an elite women's side alongside the men's team. Um, so very grateful to him, very grateful to, you know, Deputy Chief Executive Porter, who I work very closely with, um, and very grateful to Christian for recruiting me. You know, we, we, we started our conversation probably nine months ago now, um, when I was still playing at Juventus. So here I am, you know, uh, promoted uh, sporting director, very excited about all the things to come um, for Villa. So, yeah, super grateful. So what things are to come for Villa? What plans are already in place for the new season and your first as a WSL team? Well, we'll, we'll be announcing some really exciting things um, coming up, but we'll be, um, you know, there'll be lots of new players coming in, um, both international um, we've got some really exciting players currently in the team who are young English players who I'm so excited about in terms of their future um, for the England team as well. Um, 
we'll, I won't spoil it, but, you know, we'll have an announcement about our stadium um, for next season, which is going to be um, the, 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 the biggest stadium in the WSL. Um, and uh, there's lots, lots to come as well in terms of um, just what the players are doing um, off the field um, for the club as well. Um, and and just generally, you know, hopefully, you know, just a, a more professional setup for the for the for the players to really excel. That's that's all to come. I know you don't want to ruin the announcement, but when you say the biggest stadium in the WSL, can you tell us the capacity? Yeah, so, we'll, so the stadium will have a capacity, I believe, of eleven twelve thousand. I, I don't want to get specific, specific. Don't quote me, but it, it, I think it's around eleven eleven thousand twelve thousand. Um, and uh, it's uh, it, yeah, it will be um, you know a men's stadium that I think women's football um, is very familiar with. You know, I've played there for England, um, so you probably oh, guessed already. I Sarah. think I might have guessed. I don't know whether to ruin it or not for our for our listeners, but 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 yeah, bearing in mind a bit of a guessing game. Yeah, um, I'm I'm I'm, think, a... I'm thinking the best got stadium Walsall, but I yeah, might be wrong. Yeah, yeah. there we wow, go. There excellent. We go. Excellent. Well, that's very exciting. And you heard it here first. (laughs) Thank you for our breaking news, Enia Luko, here on TalkSport 2. Uh, So Aston Villa will be playing their WSL games at uh, the Bescott Stadium, uh, which is where Walsall play. Enia Luko, always a pleasure having you on. I hope to chat to you soon. Take care of yourself. Cheers, thanks, Faye. Enia Luko there, Sporting Director at Aston Villa. And as I said, you heard it here first. They're moving to the Bescott Stadium for their first season in the WSL. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly here on TalkSport 2. Next, where do Liverpool women go from here? Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers. Hello, this is Farah from Medin FC Women. You're listening to the Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Ruthers. Thank you for being with us on this Monday evening. Now, we've discussed the highs of promotion and winning titles, but of course, there's always going to be a loser in a points-per-game decision. And Liverpool were the team relegated from the WSL. A number of players have now left the club as well, including striker Courtney Sweetman-Kirk, who's with us now. Good evening, Courtney. How are you doing? Evening, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Just quickly, your reaction to, to relegation first and foremost? Um, obviously, it, it's hard to take. Um, unfortunately, you know, as a, as a squad um, and as a member of that squad, we, we didn't perform, obviously, um, to the best of our abilities and, and what we thought we could at times. Um, and yeah, we, we didn't win enough games and unfortunately win enough points across um, across the season, I think we'd like to think, you know, if we were to play our remaining games, that we could have clawed ourselves out. But unfortunately, that's not the position that we that we were in at that point. I'd heard from someone from within the club that a lot of people felt that lost faith in the FA. How do you feel? Um, I personally don't feel that way. Um, like I say, I think it is hard because we had eight games left, but. I think, like you've just alluded to at the start, I think in this position in, in terms of PPG, there's always going to be a winner and a loser. But like I say, at the point that we were and, and the games that we played, we hadn't done enough. We hadn't won enough points and we hadn't um, won enough games. I do think in terms of the FA, it's harsh that everyone um, hasn't followed suit in terms of the other leagues and, and that decided on PPG. A lot of theirs was null and void. So that's harsh in that sense. But in the same breath, I think if you look at Aston Villa and the money that they've invested in, how hard they work to gain promotion, it would be very harsh to 
deny them that. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point there, the money that they've invested. Because a number of players, including you, took to social media uh, when your contract ended and, and made comments regarding leaving the club, suggesting that you weren't particularly happy at Liverpool, um, correct me if I'm wrong, and that you wanted to fall back in love with football again. What, what, what was it about the environment that, that didn't work for you? Um, I think personally for me, obviously there's a lot been written in, in terms of the, the the vision of the club in terms of if we're going to be included in the new training ground, which was, was a no and, and playing at Prenton and stuff like that. So um, across the water in Tranmere, which is, is no disrespect to Tranmere, but we, I, I, person, I can't speak for anyone else, but I didn't personally feel um, part of the club in terms of the, the vision going forward. I, I think the main thing that you know stuck in my head was if we're not in those visions for the training ground going forward, then you know where do we sit within the club? Do, do you think the club will learn from this? Being relegated to the Championship when when the men's side of the of the club is about to win the, the Premier League, will that will that fit uncomfortably with them and they'll feel like they need to invest more? I really hope so. I think for, you know, we've seen it now for a few years and, and the cycle of maybe two-year contracts where, you know, since since they won back-to-back um, WSLs, there's, there's been a been a decline. So I, I'd like to think that this is the jolt that they need because there's some, you know, fantastic players and some great people within that club. And it's not just about the money, but, you know, the tools and the resources um, that, that need, need to be given for that club to be successful and, and people to thrive. And like I say, I, you know, for me, I, I, I felt like I'd, I'd felt um, met the end of the road with my journey, but there's, there's still, still people there that I think can do great things with the club and, and hopefully they will do that and, and get it back to, you know, not just Liverpool by name. It should be by nature in terms of where they're performing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the end of the road for Liverpool for you, but the journey continues. <laughs> what next for you? Uh, I can't say too much at the moment. Obviously, COVID um, has, you know, knocked out and pushed back a, a lot of plans, but I have got options and, you know, I'm hoping, you know, within the next week or two, I can reveal that. But I'm just very excited for, for what's to come for me. And it's obviously it's been hard for everyone, not just footballers, but everyone involved in this. But for me, I just can't wait to get back on the training field and, and kicking a ball. Didn't you know where the breaking news station here on TalkSport 2, Eni Aluko has just revealed that Aston Villa will be playing their games at the Bescott Stadium. I was hoping it, hoping that you, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk, were going to be telling us an exclusive about where you were going. But I won't push you any more <laughs> on it. I look forward to hearing your news in a couple of weeks and where you'll end up. And I look forward to talking to you again here on Women's Football Weekly as well. Thanks, Faye. Take care, Courtney. Courtney Sweetman-Kirk there, former Liverpool striker. We shall find out where she's going next. We've just got a few minutes to talk to Kira Maguire, Price of Football author and our finance expert here on Women's Football Weekly. Good evening, Kieran. Sorry we're short on time. Um, I hope you're well. Uh, obviously, now the WSL table's been decided. How are the top clubs going to be impacted financially by it? Well, I guess from the club's point of view, that they're looking to cut costs. And if the if the WSL had continued, then there would be clearly wage costs to incur. Um, more players would have to come out of furlough. But then also we have the, the costs of testing players. And realistically, with eight or nine games to go, you're, you're probably looking at somewhere in the region of £150,000 per club. You spread that across the whole of the WSL, and it's over a million pounds has been saved. And I think that was one of the driving forces behind the decision.
Yeah, we were just hearing from Courtney Sweetman-Kirk there, formerly of Liverpool, and uh, obviously them dropping down into the championship is going to affect them massively. How big uh, of an effect will it have on them? Um, I think I think it will be significant in terms of if you're trying to get commercial income, and I think that will be the the main driver of of the women's game next season. Yeah, we don't know whether the matches are taking place before uh, a paying audience. Um, the t- there won't really be a TV deal as such in the championship bringing any revenue. So everything is going to be determined by how well you get on with your sponsors. Um, yeah, the, the championship as it is in the men's game is isn't as attractive a proposition. So uh, you know Liverpool will. Uh, will will be sore about that. You know, they, they will be hurting, um, and, and also I think with the with the men's team, uh, they they appear to be sort of battening down the hatches in terms of spending there as well. Um, I, I th- there'll be restricted investment as far as the women's team is concerned for Liverpool. Yeah, and just finally, Kieran, and very quickly because we're running out of time. Um, we've already seen AFC filed um, reverse their decision after deciding to disband. Are we going to see more clubs um, going the way that they did originally, or is there a bit of light at the end of the tunnel of this uh, COVID nineteen crisis? Uh, unfortunately, th- things are looking uh, very, very grim for for all teams at all levels, uh, and. What what we will find is that the uh, you know the the group as it were sort of consisting of the men's team and the women's women's team and so on, um, they, they the group will be looking to cut costs. If if the women's team is losing money, and if you take a look at all of the WSL clubs last season, they all made they all made losses with the exception of Spurs, and they only made a five grand profit. Um, it, it's it's one of those areas which can be cut. Uh, you know, you hope that that won't be the case because the game's been making so much progress uh, recently. But it but it becomes increasingly high risk. Oh, Kieran Maguire, Price of Football author. I'm so sorry we haven't had longer with you. I always find your chats fascinating. But we'll get you back on Women's Football Weekly on Talksport too shortly. I hope. Lovely to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much to Kelly Simmons from the FA, Enia Luko, Courtney Sweetman Kirk, and Kieran Maguire, uh, author of The Price of Football. And thank you for listening as well. This to this Women's Football weekly special here on TalkSport 2. Don't forget we're now a podcast, so download us. Uh, We'll also be repeated tomorrow morning on TalkSport 2 between 9 and 10 a.m. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. All the momentum is with them now. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. And Scott scores inside two minutes. On TalkSport 2. 